Deuteronomy 18, verses 9 through 22. Please pay attention to the reading of God's word. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations, which you are about to dispossess, listen to fortune tellers and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, as we just sang, we ask that you would speak, that you would speak your word, God, that we, your servants, would hear, that we would hear and obey, God, that we would do what you have called us to do, and that we would look to the prophet that we would look to Christ, that we would see him, that we would love him, that we would know him, and God, that we would honor and glorify him in all that we say and do. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, in our increasingly secular world, there is a paradoxically inescapable reality that people are still fascinated with the supernatural. Why is this? If there is this strong push right now in our culture towards an evolutionary and naturalistic worldview, if that's really taking root, then why would it be the case that there is still a fascination with the supernatural? I believe that deep down it's because we all long for something or someone out there to speak to us. Maybe you've seen some of the TV shows with the mediums on there who claim to be able to connect with people's deceased relatives, right? And that they can 
communicate and, and speak, tell people what they are saying to them, or this kind of newfound craze in astrology and horoscopes. I think it's fascinating just from my own experience seeing this, uh, this idea of superstition. We saw this when we lived in China. 70 plus years of communistic and atheistic propaganda and brainwashing still cannot root out this long history of superstitious beliefs and practices. It is so deep down into people, it's so ingrained that all of the, all of the teaching, all the things to say, you don't follow this, don't do any of this stuff, it's still there, it's everywhere. I saw an article, read an article this week about the increased interest in the occult and the person was saying that during times of political unrest, especially, there is an increased uh, interest in the occult. Also, there, there is a huge profitability factor, right? All these movies and books being sold about the occult play into that. One of the supposed astrologers in the article was quoted saying, occultism allows for freedom. It only makes sense that young people searching for a spiritual anchor outside of tradition would gravitate towards it. Hello. As we see a rise in the nuns, not the little ladies walking around with the black hats on, the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. If you don't know that term yet, you need to get familiar with it. Rise in the nuns, that means unaffiliated, people who are not religiously affiliated. When they check the box on the survey for what they believe, it's nothing, nuns, no affiliation. As we see a rise in this category, it's not surprising that people are gravitating towards something that makes promises of self-empowerment. A 2017 Pew Research study suggests that 60% of Americans believe in at least one of the four main categories of New Age belief. Reincarnation, astrology, uh, psychics, and the presence of spiritual energy in physical objects like mountains and trees. And sadly, in that same research poll, uh, maybe not surprisingly, the number of evangelicals who believe in at least one of these things is 47%. Now, we, while we may scoff at these things as ridiculous and we may brush off these research polls as inaccurate, trust me, I'm as skeptical of some polls as you might be, but let us not be so quick to let ourselves off the hook. We are prone to listen to other voices when the Lord has already spoken very clearly to us. We're going to look at this Old Testament passage in Deuteronomy 18. We're going to see how we, as the church of Jesus Christ in the 21st century, are just as susceptible to being led astray by other voices as God's people were in the days of Moses, more than 1,400 years before Christ's earthly ministry. We will see that just like them, we need God to graciously open our ears to hear him speaking through his promised prophet. If you're taking notes and you want a main idea, that's it. We need God to graciously open our ears to hear him speaking through his promised prophet. Again, we're continuing our prophet, priest, and king series. Last week, uh, we had an introduction to kind of the whole the whole series and, and what we're going to be looking at uh, for prophet, priest, and king. Then we're going to be having four messages on each of prophet, priest, and king. We're going to have two Old Testament messages, one New Testament message, and then kind of an overview of how it applies to us as the church, as the people of God, and individually as individual Christians. That's kind of the direction we're going. 
But before we look specifically at this chapter that we just read from Deuteronomy 18, it will be helpful to get an overview of the purpose and the context of this book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the last book of the Pentateuch, That's the first, which is the first five books of Moses, as they're commonly called. You might know the little jingle, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, right? Teach your kids that song. It's great, helpful. I use it all the time when I was going through my ordination exams. That's how I was able to, like, remember the books of the Bible, right? Learn the, learn the song. Um, anyways, uh, Deuteronomy is, a, is one of my favorite books in the Bible. It's the covenant renewal book. So it basically is recapping everything that happened in the, the four books before it. It's a reminder of what God has done in delivering his people out of Egypt and of bringing them into the promised land. The Ten Commandments are retold in, Gen in, in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Uh, the greatest commandment is, is told in chapter 6. You might be familiar with the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. You shall teach these things to your children. You should talk about them always at all times. There are reminders to the people that they were chosen by God, not because of their own righteousness, but because the Lord loved them and he set his love upon them. The golden calf incident is retold in chapter 9 so that they wouldn't forget how quickly and how easily they could fall into gross idolatry. You'll remember that after the golden calf incident, Moses came down the mountain, he threw down the tablets and they were shattered into pieces. And from chapter 10 on then is the retelling of Moses going back up onto Mount Sinai, getting the new tablets of stone. And then what follows that are several chapters of reminders of how the people of Israel are to live and to serve God in their worship of him. So there are all kinds of warnings against idolatry. There's reminders of the types of foods that are acceptable to eat. And there are reminders of how they are to keep the festivals. So there's this whole focus on the purity of worship. Then in chapters 17 and 18, there are these clear descriptions of the types of leaders that God would provide for his chosen people. It outlines prophets, priests, kings, and judges with a description of each of their duties. And we'll be looking at some of these other roles, even from these texts later on this summer. I think there are also some important parallels for us today uh, in the church and the different offices and functions the functions of those offices that we see in those who are called to lead God's people. Again, we'll see more of this uh, in a few weeks as we, as we have our summary message for, for profit and its application both to the church and to us as individual believers. So the priests and the judge, judges and the kings and the prophets of Israel were to lead God's holy and set-apart people in their worship and their obedience to him and to his commandments. So for them, there is this backwards-facing emphasis. God was trying to get Egypt out of them. His people were coming out of Egypt. All of these commands about worship and, and purity and these festivals were to get Egypt out of them, right? To leave behind what was in the past. And then there is a forward-facing emphasis in order to protect them from the ways of the people in the land to which they were going. So they were both being getting Egypt out of them in the past and then protecting them in the future as they're going into the promised land. That's a really important distinction. As you, and as you read through the Old Testament, you need to have that idea in mind of how God is protecting his people. And it, it applies to us in a lot of similar ways. 
So we see this right away. We see how God is doing this right away in verse 9. It says, when you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. So these abominable practices are these detestable or offensive things that would make them ritually unclean. These are things that are breaking God's moral law, especially the Ten Commandments. In other words, this is the way that the world around them wants the people of God to follow the ways of the world. Notice the emphasis here. It says, you shall not learn to follow. So it implies that there's some teaching going on, right? If there's learning, there's teaching. You shall not learn to follow. The world is trying to teach you. The world is trying to allure you and and bring you to itself away from the things of God. Do not learn to follow the ways of the world. And then Moses gives this detailed list in verses 10 and 11 of four types of activities and then five types of associated people who are seeking to lead God's people astray. The first is those who burn their son or daughter as an offering. And as Belcher points out in his book, this is actually, when they're doing this, they're actually seeking intervention of the gods in life-threatening situations. It's actually happened in 2 Kings chapter 3, uh, specifically in verse 27, but in that, in that section there. The king of Moab sacrificed his firstborn son as a burnt offering when the battle was going against him. So he sacrifices his son, hoping for some intervention from the gods. The second activity is those who practice divination. You might recall the account of Saul and the witch of Endor in 1 Samuel 28. I think probably up there with one of the craziest passages in all of scripture. So there's this practicing of divination that is clearly against what the Lord uh, commands his people to do. Third, those who tell fortunes. So this is the practice of sorcery or astrology. And then fourth, those who interpret omens. This is those who are trying to to discover some hidden knowledge with the aid of supernatural power. Then the five types of people that are listed after that here, they correspond with the activities just listed. So sorcerers, charmers, mediums, necromancers, and those who inquire of the dead. We might also use titles like witch or wizard or psychic. These would be some some synonyms for these uh, types of types of roles, types of people. Well, I don't know about you. I don't know if you've ever had this uh, this urge, but uh, I've always had a temptation to to want to walk into one of these psychic places. Um, I don't I don't know if there's any around Oshkosh. When we lived in La Crosse, there was one that I drove by like all the time, and I always wanted to walk in there and say, "By what authority are you claiming to do these things?" Like, what power do you think you have to actually do those things? I never did it. Maybe one day I'll get up the courage to do it if I see one of those places. But I think it's a fascinating, I'd I'd just be curious to hear what they say. Like, where do they think they're getting the authority and the power to do these things? So basically the question, you know, by what or by whom do you claim to speak? And that's the issue that's going on here in Deuteronomy. So what do all of these people here, these types of people, what do they all have in common? They are all seeking a word. They are seeking to communicate something to people, but it's apart from the authority of the God who spoke the world into existence. The God who thunders his glory, as we're told in Psalm 29, that great psalm about the glory and the power of the voice of the Lord. The psalmist writes, ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, worship the Lord in the splendor 
of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The glory, the God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. What are these puny little sorcerers and charmers compared to the Lord? That's the point here in Deuteronomy 18. Moses says, don't listen to these liars and deceivers. They are seeking to lead you astray into idolatry. Listen to the Lord, the one who thunders his glory from the heavens. Listen to him. In fact, we read here that it is because of these abominations in verse 12 that the Lord is driving out the people of the land. These things that they're doing are the cause for God's righteous judgment against the nations. But notice how God's people are to live in contrast. Look at verses 13 and 14 with me. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations, which you are about to dispossess, listen to fortune tellers and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. What does it mean here to be blameless? It's probably just what you would guess that it means. It's moral goodness, it's purity, it's having no defect. We see this very on in Genesis 17 when God calls Abram and he changes his name to Abraham. God said to Abram, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Same word that's used here. Be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. This describes a life that is to be set apart. This is also the place in Genesis 17 where God institutes the covenant of circumcision, that sign in the flesh that is to distinguish the men of Israel from the nations around them. We see a parallel with that between that and our baptism. <clears throat> it is a distinguishing marker, though it's not actually something done in the flesh, but it's something that's spiritually setting us apart from the world as the people of God, as his church. And notice what that distinction is here in Deuteronomy, uh, the second half, Deuteronomy 18, second half of verse 14. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. Well, to do what? To listen to these other voices. The Lord your God has not allowed you to listen to these other voices. He's saying, you're commanded not to do these things. This isn't like, well, you know, if it sounds good, yeah, whatever. No, you're commanded not to listen to these things. Our greatest danger begins by listening to the wrong voices. Wasn't this how our first parents fell? Eve was deceived by the voice of the serpent. And Adam's curse from the Lord starts off with these words, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. Now, husbands, before you uh, misapply that, this is clearly not saying that it's wrong to listen to the voice of your wife. But God continues, and you have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. The lying voice of the serpent led Eve to, led to Eve being deceived, then Adam, and them both disobeying God and plunging the human race into sin and misery. This is really the heart of the cosmic battle that we are facing to this very day. Whose voice are we listening to? Whose voice 
are we listening to? What are some of the other voices that you might be tempted to listen to? There are no shortage of voices, especially in our digital age. You can find all kinds of different voices on podcasts, on YouTube, on other social media platforms, and the overwhelming majority of them are not seeking to tell you the truth about God and his word. One of our greatest challenges is to learn to filter these voices through the standard of God's word. Now, this obviously doesn't mean that we should never listen to any secular voices about anything. There are many experts out there in fields that can provide helpful information and helpful insight on issues that we should be informed about as Christians. But we must not blindly consume the ideas and the viewpoints of those who would seek to draw our hearts and our minds away from devotion to God and to his clearly revealed truth. I love how Psalm 119 starts. That glorious 176 verse meditation on God's word. The psalmist begins, Blessed are those whose way is blameless. Same word here in Deuteronomy 18. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. This has been a temptation for God's people since the Garden of Eden, to not walk according to his revealed truth. In 2 Kings chapter 17, I'd encourage you to go read this later, 2 Kings 17, 7 to 23, we are told the very reasons why the northern tribe of, tribes of Israel were carried off into exile in Assyria. And it's actually these very reasons that are listed here in verses 10 and 11 in Deuteronomy 18. These very things that they were told not to do is what they're doing, and that's why they get carried off into exile. And it says that though God warned them through the prophets, they would not listen. Okay? They had been clearly warned by God's prophets, but they didn't listen. So I think you get the point. I think I've made my case quite clearly that listening to any other voice than the Lord's is a recipe for disaster. But we can't stop there, right? That's the bad news. What's the solution? What's the good news? Well, there is good news for us. God doesn't leave us in our sin. He doesn't leave us to ourselves. He doesn't abandon us to following the voices of those who would speak contrary to his revealed word. God is not silent. Even when we cover our ears and seek truth from other voices, God is not silent. So let's look now at what God has promised to his people in verses 15 through 22. Verse 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Here we have Moses telling the people of Israel who we know are prone to wander from the Lord, that the Lord himself is going to raise up a prophet, a prophet, singular, like him from among their brothers. Well, first we need to ask, what is a prophet? Simply put, a prophet is a spokesman or a mouthpiece of the Lord. It's someone who is authorized to speak for God and to authoritatively communicate God's truth to his people and to the world. A prophet is, is the exact opposite of the five types of people listed in verses 10 and 11, plus including fortune tellers and diviners in verse 12. There are seven types of people 
who are all liars, who lie to people and who do not have any authority to speak on God's behalf. Now, clearly in the Old Testament, God raised up more than just one singular prophet after Moses. There were a whole host of prophets, and Belcher gets into this in his book, and he explains that the prophets were the covenant mediators to call God's people back to him and to warn them of the judgment that they would experience if they continued to disobey. In fact, he says, the prophets became covenant prosecutors sent by God to bring a complaint against the people for their disobedience and to hold out blessings if they repented. So, Again, as you read through the prophets, keep that in mind, the, this kind of this cycle. There's this cycle of judgment and restoration. Judgment and restoration. It never ends with, hey, people of Israel, you've, you've really blown it this time. Peace out. God is done with you, right? No. It's always this, there's this judgment. There's this warning. You haven't obeyed God. But there's always this promise of hope. There's always this promise of restoration and blessing if they, if they follow the Lord and walk with him. So again, this was done by by the prophets with this constant reminder to listen, listen to the Lord. When Moses says here that they must listen to the prophet, he is saying that by listening to the prophet, they are listening to the Lord. That's evidenced by what we see in verses 16 and 17. This is a retelling of the account from Exodus 20, after God spoke the Ten Commandments to the people, and they were so afraid that they asked Moses to speak to them instead of the Lord, lest they die. Now notice that the people, they don't say that they no longer want to hear what God has to say. They don't say, we don't want to hear from the Lord. They just want it said through a mediator, okay? That's fair enough. They still, they still want to hear from the Lord. And that's what God then gives them. This role of the mediating prophet and the people's responsibility to listen is reiterated then in verses 18 and 19. Notice the second half of verse 18 that God is the one who is putting his words in the mouth of the prophet. And the prophet speaks to the people all the words that God commands him to. The people are not any less accountable to hearing and obeying what God commands just because they don't hear the audible voice of God directly in their ears. I think this has huge implications for Christians today. I've heard so many people say this, and there have been times in my Christian walk where I've kind of had this same feeling, right? Like, wouldn't it just be easier if God just spoke to me audibly from heaven? If I just heard his, he just told me exactly what he wanted me to do? But we're actually told here in verse 19 that if we don't listen to the words of God's prophet that are spoken in his name, that God himself will require it of us. And not only that, but those who speak falsely on behalf of God especially those who are listed in verses 9 through 14, those who speak falsely on behalf of God shall die. This is a pretty straightforward warning for us to stick to what is written, right? To stick to the word of God. And we are reminded of how this works from our catechism question that we looked at this morning. Question 24, how doth Christ execute the office of a prophet? Christ executed the office of a prophet in revealing to us by his word and spirit, the will of God for our salvation. The word of God can only be rightly understood and discerned by those who trust Christ as their savior and who have it revealed to them by the spirit of God. We must not think that we can attempt on our own strength to understand the will of God for our salvation. 
We are wholly dependent upon Christ, our prophet. I stated earlier that our main point was that we need God to graciously open our ears to hear him speaking through his promised prophet. That is what he has done for us in Christ. That is what Moses was referring to here in Deuteronomy 18 as he pointed the people of God forward. Now we must look back and we must see how God fulfilled the promise in history and how we are to live in the present in light of this truth. Little sneak peek preview into the book of Hebrews that we're going to be digging into in the fall. I love how the book of Hebrews starts. The first two verses of this incredible book just jump off the page at us. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Okay, The whole Old Testament, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days... He has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed, appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. This is an incredible promise. We can trust what God says to us because he has spoken with authority and finality by his son, the long-awaited and promised prophet that Moses told about. Well, if you are a Green Bay Packers fan, you have no doubt been following the saga, or maybe you haven't been. Maybe you're a Packers fan and you're not following the saga. But if you're a diehard Packers fan and you've been following the saga surrounding Aaron Rodgers, you'll know that it all started on draft night when Adam Schefter just conveniently, a couple hours before the draft, drops this bomb that Aaron Rodgers is discontent and he's not coming back to Green Bay. He's not playing for the Packers again. And that story just dominated the whole couple days of the draft. Since then, everyone and their brother has decided to weigh in on this saga, and it feels like every day there's a new wrinkle to the story as we get closer and closer to finding out what's going to happen. Well, on Thursday, James Jones, who was one of uh, the wide receivers that played for the Packers a few years ago and one of Aaron's closest friends, he was interviewed by Colin Cowherd on his radio show, and he tried to put to rest some of the rumors, and he made it sound like there is a pretty good possibility that things can be repaired, that the rift can be repaired. And when pressed by Colin about what Rogers' number one beef with the team was, he said that it was part of a private conversation. How convenient, right? And Aaron Rodgers has barely spoken publicly, just kind of some vague, kind of veiled, which he's been pretty good at lately, um, just some vague kind of comments about what's going on. Do you see the connection here with what we're looking at in this passage? We don't really know who to believe, right? Do we believe Aaron Rodgers? Do we we believe James Jones? Do we believe the coaching staff in the front office? There's a lot of speculation going on. There's a lot of he said, she said going on here. But it's not like that with God. He has told us very clearly what he is up to and what he expects from us. He has spoken by his word and by his spirit by his son with authority and finality. Jesus, our prophet, has executed and continues to execute his office by revealing to us, by his word and spirit, the will of God for our salvation. 
And that is that we turn from our sins, that we repent and we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the only son of God, and that we would receive forgiveness of our sins and eternal life because of him, who he is, and what he has done. We must listen to the voice of our Savior, and we must be willing to follow him, not the false voices in our world that seek to lead us astray. So may God continue to be gracious to us, to open our ears, to hear him speaking through his promised prophet, our only Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. God, you have been so faithful to your people. When your people in the Old Testament went astray, God, you continued to pursue them. You continued to send your prophets to speak your truth, to call your people back. God, you continued to be faithful to your church. God, through your word and your spirit, you continue to call your people back to you. You continue to speak the words of life that we all need to hear. God, may we respond accordingly. Wherever any of us are at today, whatever is going on in our lives, God, the main thing that we all need is to hear from you clearly from your word, to be reminded of who you are, to be reminded of what you expect of us, what you command us. God, it is, it is a joy to be able to, to dig into your word. It is a joy to be able to, to commune with you. And it is something that we so easily set aside as we run to other things, as we listen to other voices. God, draw us back. Remind us of, of the truth of your word. Remind us that, that everything that you communicate to us about who you are is right and good and true. And that it's our only source of life and hope in this world. Give us ears to hear, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.